welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Today I am here with Dr. Jessica Drummond. She is the CEO of the Integrative Women's Health Institute and author of Outsmart Endometriosis. She holds licenses in physical therapy and clinical nutrition and is a board certified health coach. She has over 20 years of experience working with women who have chronic pelvic pain and facilitates educational programs for women's health professionals in over 60 countries. She also leads virtual wellness programs for people with endometriosis. Dr. Drummond lives and works with her husband and daughters between Houston, Texas and Fairfield, Connecticut. So today we are going to talk about endometriosis and nutrition. Thank you for being here. We're recording this during coronavirus craziness. So we're obviously by here, I mean on the phone, but we're doing this remote. So if the quality isn't as good as it usually is, I apologize, but Thank you for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So let's get started. Um, I mean, there's so much to talk about in regards to nutrition and endometriosis, but if you kind of had to pick a starting place as to what is like the best place for women dying with diagnosed endo to start, you know, what you eat plays such an important role in the way that that you feel, and I think that that's something that we all know, but as we'll get into the episode and we'll talk about more of the specifics as to changes they really can make and implement into their day-to-day life, what would you say is the best starting point? Well, in that sense, I think we need to think about what, how endometriosis um can be managed from a digestive, immune, and nervous system standpoint. So we have we have to remember that endometriosis has some inflammatory, um, you know, some some parts of it are, are increased inflammatory uh, markers. It also has some autoimmune characteristics, and obviously there's pain, uh, which is a neurologic um, expression, mm-hmm. and so. While there's no, like, clear diet plan, most people do well with kind of a skeleton of an autoimmune paleo food plan because endometriosis has so much of an autoimmune characteristic, and it often is comorbid with other autoimmune diseases. So a lot of people with endometriosis often have things like Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis or subclinical autoimmune markers. So we want to think about, and the reason why the immune system tends to overreact to foods is that there is a strong interface between the immune system and the digestive system. About 80% of our immune system is kind of wrapped up and around our digestive system. 
So the healthier our digestive function is, the better for our symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so we can talk about specifically what the food plan looks like and know that it's highly individual. I certainly have patients who do well on a vegan diet, but most people do better with kind of leaning in the direction of autoimmune paleo. But none of that matters until the digestive function is optimized. So are you chewing enough? At least, you know, 20 chews per bite would be ideal. 40 is is, research, is sort of the research gold standard, although most people chew their food like three bites. So if I can get five or six, then that's an improvement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, eating mindfully, slowly, calmly, which is really challenging when you've been so afraid of food for a long time and really restricting and restricting and restricting. So we have to think about, you know, enjoying food again, cooking food that's very nutrient-dense. So... You know, we're in the middle of this coronavirus situation. This is a perfect opportunity to optimize our nutrient stores. We want lots of fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables, lots of protein, lots of healthy fats. Because as those foods break down, they're very they're very high in nutrients, micronutrients like vitamins and minerals, which support immune health and nervous system health, and macronutrients like amino acids, which help balance brain neurotransmitters. So chewing, slow eating, good stomach acid. Many of my patients with endometriosis have low stomach acid. That was a huge thing for Mm me. I Last summer, I actually saw a nutritionist for the first time, and I don't have endo, but I have had a lot of digestive issues, and she gave me digestive enzymes, and it changed my digestion like things were incredibly better after that absolutely and so there are digestive enzymes and then there's stomach acid support it actually it had both now that you're saying yeah Mm -hmm. it was like a two-in-one supplement I remember excellent yeah that's great and what we do in the like in the book I specifically explain how to challenge like how much of the stomach acid support called betaine HDL you Mm -hmm. need because it's variable. Some people, there are some precautions to doing it, but a lot of patients in this population really benefit. Any pelvic pain condition, anyone with chronic digestive issues, one of the most common things that I see in my practice is low digestive enzymes and low stomach acid. And without those two things, you know, kind of revved up, it's very hard, no matter what your food, what the food is that you're eating, to extract the nutrients out of it. And that is so key for digestive and immune health. Whether you have endometriosis, pelvic pain or not, in this climate, it's super important for everyone because we just want to stay out of the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I was chronically bloated and constipated. And then for a while, I kind of got those symptoms under control. And then they came back last summer, which is when I saw this nutritionist and she gave me these enzymes that had HCL in them. And literally within 24 hours, I was having a regular bowel movement after I would say almost three meals a day. Like it was really, there was amazing improvement that I saw. But are you able to to for for anyone listening are you able to say like if they have constipation or bloating or indigestion 
like a sup a, a digestive enzyme with hydrochloric acid that they could start taking or is that not something that you could really recommend i don't know no, no it's not that cut and dry it's not yeah. related specifically to symptoms although bloating is a very common one because one of the reasons that most people with endometriosis and other pelvic pain conditions are bloated mm-hmm. is usually because they have some overgrowth of the less healthy bacteria, fungi, viruses, you know, other microbes that shouldn't be growing in the small intestine. Well, how do those, you know, how do these overgrowth of bad bacteria get there? Well, there's really only two ways. One is through the stomach, and it should be killed off by stomach acid. But if your stomach acid is low, then some of those guys will creep through. Or backwards from the large intestine where we should have tons and tons of good and not so great bacteria, but they're nice and balanced. And But in people with endometriosis, especially if you have endometriosis on the bowel or on the small intestine or on that transitional area where there's a valve that, that um, should be only singularly directional, like things should only go from the small to large intestine, if, if endometriosis, adhesions, other things are going on there, Sometimes the bacteria can go in the wrong direction, and that's how you get the bacteria into the small intestine. Also, there are places where it can specifically thrive in the small intestine. For example, if you have low motility or adhesions around the small intestine. So we have to really listen to your history. Think about if you're likely a candidate that has low stomach acid Again, a lot of people are in this population because there are so many things that would cause that. Um, Chronic pain, chronic fatigue. It takes a lot of ATP, which is um, like physiologic energy to make stomach acid. So if someone's been chronically in pain or chronically fatigued, that's one of the places where you don't have the ATP stores that you need to really have this robust stomach acid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, listening to your history thinking about why you might be bloated, even if you've been treated for SIBO like three or four times with, you know, medications or, or herbs, but it still keeps coming back. Those are some of the things that, that make it more likely that you're going to need um, stomach acid and or digestive enzyme support. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of inflammatory foods and what foods women with endo should probably cut out you know gluten dairy eggs sugar I think that there's a lot that could potentially be beneficial to cut out but what what would be your recommendation as to where we should start well I would actually start with adding foods in because Mm -hmm. a lot of times again women are so restrictive because there's a lot of fear around eating when everything kind of hurts and you're not really sure where to start. Mm -hmm. So yes, we recommend a very therapeutic elimination diet, which again, work in concert with your nutritionist or with our team because the things you want to take out to test are going to be a little bit individualized. But I would say there are a few things that are very common, sugar or any sweeteners, except fruit in most cases, unless you have a significant yeast issue. Um, gluten, and for some people, grains in general, dairy, and soy. Those are probably the four like key things. And, of course, alcohol. And caffeine is a little bit 
here or there. The alcohol is basically sugar, mm-hmm. which is why it's best to get rid of that. But caffeine can, in small amounts, have some beneficial effects to kind of getting the digestive system back on, back on track. So, you know, I'm, I'm in many cases fine with people doing like one cup of green tea a day or something like that, depending on how the tea impacts bladder symptoms. And what about coffee? Variable. I would minimize coffee because, again, it's irritating to the bladder in many cases. If it's not bothersome, though, one cup of black coffee would be the same thing. It would be fine. Can I actually – I have a question. So this is more of a personal question, but I'm sure that, that this a lot of women can relate to this. So I do have bladder urgency and frequency, and I noticed that when I drink coffee – which isn't very often, but once a week I'll have like a small cup of coffee and it, my bladder urgency is definitely worse, but then it goes away within, I don't know, by the afternoon. Um, but I was actually wondering the other day, like, am I, am I making it, even though it goes away by the end of the day, is it, am I making it so that it's harder for my bladder to actually heal? You know what I mean? Um, yes and no. Ideally, we want to, you know, cause irritation to ourselves as little as possible. Mm -hmm. However, you know, we live in, we don't live in a perfect environment. I mean, clearly, like, you're not even allowed to go outside right now, but um, that's not 100% true, depending on where you live. I can go in my yard. Um, But anyway, (laughs) so as humans, you know, Eating, like, let's say it's a year from now mm-hmm. and you're on the right supplements to support your digestive function, your motility is good, you're doing pelvic rehab and abdominal visceral mobilization to get your digestion functioning, you're eating a super clean diet, like, 95% of the time. And every once in a while you have, you know, like, you know, once or twice a year, you have a little bit of gluten in your in a birthday cake, or you have, um, you know, grains a couple times a week. Where ideally, it would be better if you, your body didn't eat grains, or you have coffee one cup a week. Some of that, you know, it does kind of put some. It's like a stressor. Think mm-hmm. of it as like a physiologic stressor. So you're you're sort of knowingly stressing your bladder, which is going to keep it from being as optimally healthy as it could be, but you're giving your mind some enjoyment perhaps, or it's a connection thing where maybe you have coffee with a particular person once a week. Like, you have to kind of look at the cost benefit of eating or drinking things that you know are irritating, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's the way I think of it. And and if you give yourself, you know, most of my patients, if you commit six to 24 months to just really getting your system as optimally healthy as possible from a nutrition and mindfulness and movement and sleep kind of standpoint, six to 24 months is a reasonable amount of time. Now, sometimes it takes less and it kind of depends on if you're going to have excision surgery and when the surgery is scheduled and da, da, da. You know, you don't have to do that before and after surgery most of the time in an ideal world I see my patients for like three to six months prior to surgery then they have their excision surgery if that's part of their plan and then six to 24 months of like really kind of optimizing everything digestive health the food plan supplement plan the sleep strategy movement support and stress management all of these pieces 
then you kind of get yourself in a really, you know, a really healthy situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, minor perturbations to that, which could be anything. It could be like, oh, I'm going to go on a vacation. I'm going to be on a red-eye flight. Or right. I have to work, you know, for two weeks really in a push mode for this um you know, this project that I'm doing, and I know I'm probably going to experience some flares, but I'm going to do everything else I can to kind of buffer that. So that's the way I think. I think in sort of life is full of stressors, and so the more resilient we can be, the better, and then rec- and then the kind of the faster we can recover from those stressors, the better as well. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, well, going back to cutting out sugar, but I just want to clarify that by sugar you mean even all sweeteners like honey maple syrup coconut sugar even like the better sugars should still be eliminated but what I do want to ask is what are like the substitutes that you recommend because I know that there's so many and I eliminate have eliminated most sugar from my diet but sometimes there's erythritol in stevia packets do you recommend some a specific sweetener or like have you seen negative effects from some other sweeteners um, in your patients and your practice? Yeah, I, less is more when it comes to any of mm-hmm. those sweeteners. Um, a little bit of stevia. Some people actually have kind of a negative reaction to stevia, but it's in a lot of the protein powders. So if it's well tolerated, you know, a little bit, that's fine. Um, I would rather just smaller amounts of like, a regular sugar like honey or maple syrup occasionally yeah. would be better than really we just don't want to start using chemical substitutes that's not very helpful yeah I I agree with that and even I've noticed that when I use like there's some chocolate that I like that has erythritol in it and it just always hurts my stomach so I've got kind of gone back to like having a little bit more honey instead of the artificial stuff Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other question I wanted to ask you was in terms of alcohol, do you recommend that women cut out alcohol for a certain period of time or if they were going to go have one drink, you know, someone's going on a date or it's a birthday and they wanted to have a drink, what's the best alcohol to have? Yeah. So when you're in that like intense healing mode, again, less is more when it comes to alcohol, but you know, as your body builds resilience, then, you know, the best, still I would keep it pretty occasional because there's so many effects in terms of both the sugar and the hormonal impacts, but the best tends to be, in my experience, tequila because it's not Mm -hmm. grain-based, and so having it with, like, a drink that's mixed with something very simple like fresh-squeezed lime juice or fresh-squeezed orange juice or some combination of those. Um, Or you can – some people do tolerate, like, one glass of wine, and I would get it ideally from France or Italy because they don't use any glyphosate in their wine. Unlike California, a lot of the wine is very heavy in glyphosate. Mm -hmm. Um, Those would be my – probably top two choices so the next question that I wanted to go over was I think sometimes women might hear all of this information and then they're like okay this sounds great but it's definitely gonna cost more to now buy all of this 
organic fruits and vegetables and also is organic necessary for everything but in terms of the cost and and the financial factor of you know completely changing your lifestyle the way that you eat what's like the best way to go about this what should be organic versus not organic and you know how how can do what are some tips that we can use to work through this issue if it's an issue for anyone yeah so obviously you know organic foods are going to be cleaner they're lacking in glyphosate which is always good it's more about what's not in organic food, actually. That's, that's the good thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times you get it closer to the source, right, from farmer's markets, from backyard gardens, and that, then those fruits and vegetables are going to be more nutrient-dense. To me, it's most important to get your meat um, as clean as possible because there's a lot of stored uh, chemicals and, and things like that in the fat. But... Um, also, the Environmental Working Group, which is a nonprofit organization, puts out a yearly tracker of what's called the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. And the Dirty Dozen are the 12 fruits and vegetables that are most heavily sprayed with pesticides um, before they're brought to market. So it's best to prioritize buying those organic, um, you know. But at this point, I'd still prefer just any fruits and vegetables over a lot of processed foods, you know packaged foods, things like that. So, and, and, you know, in the climate that we're currently in, really where we want to focus on is on getting the bang for the buck and getting, you know, going to the grocery store as little as possible. So, you know, cooked vegetables. And it's really not that difficult to find, you know, mm-hmm. leafy greens and cabbages and mushrooms, which are also super immune-boosting, garlic, onion, um, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, like the more the better. And they're even more impactful and antioxidant and anti-inflammatory when cooked with a little bit of fat, like olive oil or coconut oil or, you know, mixed with salad dressing or avocado. And we have some really simple salad dressings in the book that don't have any vinegar or um, acidic, like lemon juice in it so that people with bladder issues can, can use them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that, but so a little fat and herbs and spices like, you know, rosemary, oregano, um, ginger, fennel, cinnamon, like the more, the better with that. Learning how to cook is really helpful for endometriosis and there's no better time to do that than literally right now yes that's very true and also (laughs) like even I found that once you start cooking you like crave it and you want to do it more because you realize the food that you make often tastes really good it's healthier you can make it in batch it like you can make it in bulk batches so that you can save it and have it for lunch over the next few days and it's also just fun and therapeutic like I bake and it's just it's fun and and I can eat healthy baked goods and I think I definitely think that that's a good point. It's something that more of us should learn to do, which is because it's it's an amazing thing to know and it's good for our health and everything. And it's totally fine if you're like sitting there thinking right now, like I have no idea how to cook. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I was exactly like you. I was not a good cook. My mom didn't cook like she literally used to say things like when we come home and say like what are we having for dinner she would literally say air oh my god (laughs) that's so funny 
And so, you know, I did grow up with like Italian grandparents and great grandmothers who made soup from scratch. And I remember going to her, you know, her house in Brooklyn, but no one ever like sat down and taught me how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and my other grandmother was Irish and she, she was alive until just a few months ago. So, I mean, I, I had Thanksgiving dinners and she taught me how to make gravy and stuff, but you know, she wasn't big into food like my mom. She she cooked because, you know, that was just more um, necessity from her perspective. But um, no one ever, I was never, like, following anyone around the kitchen mm-hmm. learning how to cook. So when I got sick, I really learned how to do it out of necessity. And we're so lucky now because... There are so many blogs devoted to really nourishing anti-inflammatory foods, lots of great cookbooks. And if you just even go to the basics, like scrambled eggs with lots of lots of vegetables and avocado for breakfast and soups and, you know, when we can, when it's easier to get, you know, clean raw vegetables like salads and um, grilled, you know, meats with some herbs and spices on it and, you know, these things are not expensive, you know, big batches of soup, big batches of chili, big batches of stew are not difficult to make, but there is a technique to it that most of us, you know, I I was born in the 70s, and even my parents' generation, and, you know, my generation, and then the generations behind me, and the millennials, and the my kids, Generation Z, I guess they're called, you know, most people don't know how to cook, mm-hmm. but it's not hard. I think it's intimidating, but not difficult once you just sort of just allow yourself to get in the kitchen and play and know that there's going to be some disasters, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's fine. That's yeah. part of learning. Yeah. yeah. Even this morning I made homemade hummus and that's something like I never made it before. I always thought that that was a time-consuming thing to do, but it was so easy. It was just a can of chickpeas, a little bit of tahini, a little bit of olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, put it in the blender, and you have, like, a whole jar of hummus for the week. Yeah. I mean, the other day I made a chili, um, no, curry sauce, Mm -hmm. which is hard to get without sugar in it. Right. Oh, my gosh. I'll give you this recipe. Okay. It was simple. Basically, you you just saute, like I was in the middle of kind of cooking, like we had this leftover chicken thighs and I had frozen vegetables and I was like, oh, I just need like a sauce with this. Mm-hmm. And so I literally just pushed all that stuff. I was just trying to like warm it up. Basically, I pushed it all to the side of the pan. I chopped an onion. Well, in this case, I did a half because I was kind of just making one pan. But if you're just making the sauce, chop one onion, couple cloves of garlic, saute them in some olive oil. Put curry powder, a little turmeric, and a tiny bit of um, cayenne pepper or vary that depending on how spicy you want it to be. And so you saute up the onions, garlic, and spices till it kind of is flavorful smelling. Add one can or less if it's for just, you know, how many people there are of coconut milk. Mm -hmm. And that is it. You like basically simmer and boil it for like five or 10 minutes and it's ready. That sounds amazing. I'm going to make that this weekend. I'm really excited. Yeah. And you can literally (laughs) just like, if you've already cooked like some stir fry, just like push it to the side of the pan and make the sauce and then mix it all up. Oh my God. That sounds so good. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) Um, and then in regards to the fact that eating this way or starting to eat this way can feel overwhelming at first, do you have 
a few tips that could help to ease people into the process? Yes, I think my biggest tip, well, first of all, we have a lot of recipes in the book that Mm. are designed for the home cook. You know, they're very simple things. But sit down and think about what you normally eat in a week. The average family has kind of memorized 10 recipes or so, maybe three different breakfasts and six or eight, you know, um, lunches and dinners. And if you just sit down and make yourself like a cookbook of what you normally eat, and then transition that to be less um, processed food heavy, less sugar heavy, and, and more vegetable heavy, it'll probably, you know, you probably can immediately come up with kind of like a, a family or a personal cookbook that you can just learn how to cook those 10 things to get started. So like if you have pasta once a week, now make spaghetti squash with meat sauce with added veggies like mm-hmm. zucchini or you know, mushrooms, if you have, um, taco night instead of the taco shells, you know, make taco salad and put more vegetables into it. So keep it really similar to what you already do and just shift away from processed foods and towards vegetables. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. And for everyone listening, I just wanted to also mention that I think it was about a year ago. Now we did a different episode together um, that was just about nutrition and pelvic pain in general. But I remember in that episode, you shared a few really inspiring success stories. And I feel like those hearing those stories always motivates people to want to get started on this journey. So I wanted to ask you the same question again, but we can make it more focused towards endometriosis um but what are some success stories that you've seen in your practice in working with women who have endo and then have implemented all of these food and lifestyle changes and have just seen some great results yes well um so basically the one of my favorites is um the woman who wrote the foreword mm-hmm. in my book, Outsmart Endometriosis, her name is Audrey, and she came to our program as a practitioner. She was learning all these strategies to help her own clients and patients, but she also had endometriosis herself, and she really struggled with infertility, but she kind of used our training program professionally as, you know, kind of put herself as patient number one, and she, um, and she worked through, you know, got herself healthier and healthier, learned how to cook, ate this way, and now she has twin baby boys. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting for me to see. That's so exciting. Yeah. And and I feel like that is probably a pretty common story, like when women are really able to be committed to this way of living and really change the way that they eat and the way that their bodies function, they will be able to do so many things that they weren't previously able to do, whether it's getting pregnant or, you know, being able to work out a certain way, just like so many things, even just something as simple as having more energy during the day, like changing the way that we eat helps so much. Absolutely. And I think you know, when you take a very holistic lens on it, the goal is always to help nourish and fuel the system so that they function better. Mm-hmm. All of our physiologic systems, mm-hmm. our digestive system, immune system, our nervous system, you know, can we concentrate? Do our, are we brain foggy? 
you know, fertility and reproduction, it all works better when given the raw materials that it needs and lowering that um, inflammatory and autoimmune type responses. Yeah. And one other thing that I wanted to mention, which we've both talked about before, is that when you start to make these changes and then see how good you actually feel, it's mm-hmm. it becomes something that you want to continue. Like I know for me a few years ago, I cut out gluten, dairy, sugar, and it took me a while to be able to stick to that. But once I was able to, I never went back because I was like, I just feel so much better. Like I know if I have gluten, I'll wake up tomorrow tired or I'll be constipated or bloated and it just wasn't worth it for me. And now I can have those things once in a while if I really want them. But I think that that's something that's really helpful for people to know also is that like once you can just commit for a period of time to making these changes, you'll see how much better you feel and you won't even want to eat the other stuff. It's so true. I mean, it was a little rough for me to, yeah. to quit sugar. I did it cold turkey when I first did it several, well, a long time ago now, like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, I was, I had pretty rough craving for like four months, yeah. but now it's been, you know, more than a decade and, you know, I eat a, I eat a little bit of sugar from mm-hmm. time to time, but there's my diet is so much better just and but I much prefer it and and as you said earlier you know I almost prefer cooking at home because the food has been better and Mm -hmm. you know you just you just start to really enjoy this it's not it does not feel like you know restrictive or negative it actually feels great yeah and the last question I have for you is if you just had to give one piece of advice for women with endometriosis, what would it be? Like a main takeaway? Yeah, I think I would suggest by thinking about your digestive function, because sometimes just a couple, a little bit of digestive function support, as you said, can make a huge difference. And then lean in the direction of cooked vegetables. You want to be getting, you know, adding that first so that it's easier to take the things away that are more irritating. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And are there any resources that you have to recommend? Share with us your book, of course, but if there's anything else in addition, um, let us know. Yeah, so the book is Outsmart Endometriosis, and I'm happy to give anyone free digital copy, which we're all reading digital stuff right now anyway, Mm -hmm. so... (laughs) Go to outsmartendo.com, and we just launched today a support coaching program for people with endometriosis or any other chronic pelvic pain or kind of a pain or immune flare that might be happening. We're going to be doing that in live group coaching sessions every Friday for kind of the foreseeable future. You can join at any point and stay with us for six weeks and really get really healthy so that, you know, you can minimize any kind of pain flares or anything like that during this stressful time. Awesome. Uh, And I think that's it. Oh, and where can people contact you? Uh, Our main website is integrativewomenshealthinstitute.com or feel free to send me a message on Instagram at integrativewomenshealth. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today and just for taking the time to share all of your wisdom with everyone listening. 
Thanks so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Bye. This podcast is for education purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.